0: Thanks for checking out this sermon from Redemption Church in Seattle, Washington where we're enjoying Jesus, loving people, and making disciples. If you'd like to learn more about redemption you can go to redemptionchurchseattle.com or better yet come be our guest on a Sunday here in Green Lake. Uh, My name is Alex and I'm one of the pastors here and so I have the The honor and the privilege to walk through uh, some of the scriptures with you today. So, uh, as I guess everybody probably knows what today is, it's recognized as. Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to our moms. We have lots of new babies being born in our church regularly now, which is a great thing. And it's amazing to see children growing up, hearing about Jesus, growing up in the faith and, right, and trusting him. Our prayer is that our children would grow up and trust Jesus at an early age and walk with him for the rest of their lives. Uh, I, I personally pray for my kids to have a really boring testimony, if you know what that means. Like... Uh, I grew up hearing traveling evangelists come through and they were basically 25 years old, had made an absolute wreck of their life, cocaine, drug addiction, stealing stuff, going to jail, all of that, and then meets Jesus in jail and things turn around. I'd like my kids to not have that experience. Uh, Just meet Jesus, age six, get baptized, grow up in the church. And yeah, I just didn't do that. And uh I lived for Jesus my whole life. That that sounds great, way more into a boring testimony. If you have a, quote, boring testimony, God bless you. You have far less regrets than some of us. So not to mention any names, but all right. So the happy Mother's Day to our moms. Um, God honors the role of motherhood on a number of occasions in Scripture, and he puts a premium value on it. Uh, on one occasion, in Isaiah 49, God says this, that he, he asks this, this kind of a rhetorical question where he says, can a mother forget the, the, the infant nursing at her breast? Even if a mother does that, I'll never forget you, Israel. In Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah says that Yahweh says to his people, uh, how could I give up on you? You're my darling child. In Hosea 11, God is likened to a a mother or a father taking up a child and teaching them how to walk when they take their very first steps, where they wrap their little fingers around your finger and walk. That God honors the office of motherhood. And probably, I guess, the most obvious place where scripture honors the office and role of being a mom would be none other than The Virgin Mary, where Christ himself becomes incarnate, she carries him for nine months in the womb, births him, a natural childbirth, and then raises the Lord Jesus in her home. God places a huge value on the role of motherhood. So happy Mother's Day to our moms. And at the same time, Mother's Day is very hard for many people, for many reasons, and it is a very much so an American holiday. It, uh, it was invented in uh, 1908 by a lady named Anna Jarvis, and then it was recognized as a holiday uh, in about 1914 is when everybody said, oh, okay, now we're, we're celebrating Mother's Day. It's an American holiday. It's an American holiday. So if you go looking through your Bible, you won't find Mother's Day prescribed in the Ten Commandments. Nobody in the Torah says Mother's Day. There's no Psalms about Mother's Day. There's no prophets on the coming on the scene rebuking Israel for not celebrating Mother's Day. Uh, Jesus probably did not go down the street to the local Hallmark card shop buy Mom, Virgin Mary, a Mother's Day card, flowers, and a trip to Massage Envy at Northgate or whatever. Like Jesus. Didn't do that, okay? Uh, When you read the New Testament apostles preaching, no one's talking about Mother's Day. When you get to the very end of the Bible, guess what the apocalypse, the revelation of John is not about? Mother's Day, okay? It's an American holiday invented about 100 years ago. And yet, that's not to say, therefore we should dishonor Mother's Day. Rather, 4,000 years ago, Moses put in the 10 Commandments, that we should honor our fathers and our mothers. But Mother's Day stirs up a number of emotions that are not really exciting for some in this room today. And I very much so acknowledge that. You see, for some of us, we grew up with an amazing mom, and it's easy to celebrate Mother's Day. Some of us are like myself, I'm married to an amazing woman. Partnering and raising our children together, easy to celebrate Mother's Day. But for many, Mother's Day is very hard because perhaps mom has already passed away. Perhaps mom died. Perhaps mom was unusually cruel at home perhaps mom neglected you, perhaps mom, whatever the emotion is that comes with that because of whatever circumstance you found yourself being raised in or around or maybe what's happened recently, Mother's Day now is just like, I am not skipping around super pumped on Mother's Day. In fact, I kind of hate the day. I really would like this day to just move along. So here's what you need to hear, at church. For those that are rejoicing, God bless you. Paul would rejoice with you. He absolutely would. And in the name of Christian love, in the name of Christian love, we're also called to weep with the weeping. So for those who are weeping on this day, you're free to weep here because brothers and sisters are conscious of the reality that it's a hard day. For those that are rejoicing, we can do that too. I just want to say that. And then you go, okay, so what are you going to preach on today? Well, we're not going to preach a Mother's Day sermon. Uh, However, what we're going to do is we're going to read Proverbs 31, as Molly just read to us. We're going to go through the Proverbs 31, the famous virtuous woman passage. And we're going to read it in correspondence to the book of Ruth. As a church family, we kicked off Ruth uh, a couple of weeks ago and we are walking word by word, line by line through Ruth, and we're going to read one account in light of another. You're like, why are we doing that? Well, here's why. As Christians, we believe that all of the Bible is God's word and that the way we go about interpreting scripture is not first and foremost, grab your study Bible, go grab a commentary, go listen to a pastor or some theology guy or something, but rather you, here's what the bullseye of the Protestant Reformation was about. You want to hear it? Let scripture interpret scripture, okay? That we read these in light of one another. So if you go and start digging around online, you'll see words like canonical reading partners. Like, what is a canonical reading partner? Well, the word canon, that's what your Bible is. It's called the, the, the canon, not like a something you see like in World War II or A pirate ship, not that kind of canon. This is rather canon, meaning it's a a, a rule. It's closed off. We're not adding new books to it, right? So we read scripture in light of scripture. And when you do that, what you'll see oftentimes are overlapping themes, ideas, statements, stories recurring again and again. Have you noticed this? That sometimes you'll be reading something in Leviticus, and all of a sudden, bang, it pops again over in Hebrews. You'll see things like that again again. And again, we read scripture in light of scripture. Why is that? Here's why. Because the Bible is, yes, written by human beings, lowercase a, authors, lots of them. Poets, kings, peasants, over a few thousand years covering the entire Roman Empire, right? Lots of people participating in the writing of scripture, lowercase a, authors. And as Christians, we believe that God The Holy Spirit, according to 2 Timothy 3 and other verses, teach us that God, the Holy Spirit, capital A, author, is overseeing the writing of Scripture, the inspiration of Scripture. That when Paul says that, he says that God, he tells Timothy, God exhaled all Scripture is, inspired by God. Meaning that when God breathed out over a few thousand years, what came into being was our bible so therefore we read scripture in light of scripture sometimes we see things that appear to be contradictions and we keep that idea that god wrote this in mind as we seek to resolve tensions anybody felt that way reading their bible it's okay Okay, so no one read their Bibles? Okay, well, when you do and you find a contradiction, you're going to want to keep that capital A thing in mind for later. Okay, so, all right. Proverbs 31. Man, this is an awesome, this is awesome. Um, Two things you need to know real quick about the book of Proverbs. I'll say it this way. Um, Proverbs 31, it's the last chapter in the Proverbs. If you've ever read through the Proverbs, like I grew up hearing, like, read them. Read one a day right? 31 days or so in a month, right? Um, When you read Proverbs chapter one, it opens with lady wisdom. That over and over again, you'll see the writers, specifically Solomon most of the time in, in the Proverbs, describing a woman. He describes women again and again. When he describes lady wisdom, he does so with making her sound beautiful, attractive, desirable. Proverbs was a book that, would, that was required to be memorized oftentimes by young Hebrew boys. Why? Because you'll see like in Proverbs 6 and 7, they'll say, oh yeah, there's other women out there. She might look a certain way. Um, don't chase her down, bro. Don't do that. Her bed leads to hell. Here's what you need to find attractive. Attractive wisdom. So this is why you see that theme being developed over and over and over again throughout the Proverbs. So in Proverbs 1, Lady Wisdom is described. Proverbs 31, she now becomes incarnate. Here's what it actually physically looks like in the day-to-day. So if you already, if you know the gospel well enough, you, you, you just heard the gospel. Wisdom, in the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, becomes incarnate. Pretty awesome. Isn't the Bible great? Yes. All right. So all right. So, one other thing to make a note, I wrote it all down here. Um, when you read Proverbs 31, you need to understand that this is the difference between prescriptive and descriptive literature in your Bible. Okay? Here's what I mean. Prescriptive, thou shalt not kill. Don't do that. Prescription, how to live. Descriptive, well, that's different. That is, if you make Proverbs 31 a prescription like the Ten Commandments, live this way, will fail miserably and come up hopeless. Anybody ever read Proverbs 31? Like we just have Molly read and go, well, I can't do that. <laughs> it sounds like she doesn't sleep. She's a perfect businesswoman has like 10 kids, husband's an all-star, they got it all. What in the, I, I, I can't, in fact, I can't find my car keys or my Bible half the time. Like, this woman's unbelievable, right? Okay, if you read Proverbs 31 as prescriptive, I have to be this person, you will be crushed under the weight of the law. If you read it as descriptive as someone who understands her identity as one of God's children, the pressure comes off, and it provides a little more space for you to live your real life okay so there's a couple of introductory things now let's do it we'll begin in verse 10 of proverbs 31 we'll go proverbs ruth jesus okay here we go proverbs 10 proverbs 31 verse 10 an excellent wife or a strong wife or a woman of valor is how this translates or a, a, a worthy woman excellent an excellent wife who can find she's far more precious than jewels Right there. Uh, So, this excellent person, this excellent wife that's being described, is rare, uncommon, like a diamond. Gravel is on the street, you see it everywhere. Diamond, you have to go digging. This is a kind of person that didn't stumble into being this virtuous woman of valor on accident. Nobody wakes up as a virtuous saint, but rather, it is something that is to be intentionally, repeatedly, daily, hourly cultivated, okay? So who can find this person? The heart of a husband trusts in her. He'll have no lack of gain. So He's teaching the young man, hey, you find this kind of woman, you got it made. Not if you get the American dream. This man is secure because she is like this. So he's now going to lay it out for us. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. So she seeks to do good to him. Um, All the days, which is, that's a convicting one. All the days because, well, that's not easy uh, to be nice, to do good day in, day out, again and again, especially when he's been a jerk very challenging and so my wife can testify and say amen all right but she seeks to do good and not harm so she's now resolved to live a certain way and it's resolved prior not when crisis mode happens I go i don't know how am i going to be right now she's already resolved i'm going to do good to him Every day from this day till the end. Come hell or high water. That's what you hear in wedding vows, essentially. I'm going to do good to you all the days of your life. She seeks wool and flax. Okay, so that's obviously, okay, we're reading a very old book, Ancient Near East, right? Okay, so she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. So what's she doing here? Seeking wool and flax. Uh, Flax came from Egypt, wool came from Phoenicia. If once you get down to verse 22, you'll see that all her her garments are dyed with purple uh, or or like scarlet. It's like, where did this purple color come from? It came from the shellfish, yes, shellfish in Phoenicia. They would extract this particular color, create a dye, and then she would then take that and turn her clothing and other garments into... A purple color. is was a color of royalty. It was a color of luxury. It was a color of success. It was a color that when someone saw a woman walking by wearing purple, it was, wow, she's, she's somebody. She seeks wool and flax that would come from Egypt. So she finds the finest materials, essentially. And she seeks them. That is, this woman's in business. This woman's working Diligently, that this is what you'll find when you read this: is you don't find a woman just laying around on the couch doing nothing. In fact, I encourage guys regularly to be like this lady. Like, I've had lots of guys like reach out uh, because I went to seminary forever, and I've had guys that are going to seminary reach out and go, "Dude, how'd you go to seminary?" It's like you work hard, bro. It's like, well, when do you sleep? Like, you don't. You just keep going. You just work. Be like the Proverbs 31 gal. Let her inspire you. All right. So she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. This word willing right here means like eager hands or that her hands find pleasure and take pride in her work. That she does something. What she makes with her hands day in and day out, she finds pleasure in those things. That it's not just I have to do these tasks, but she's a woman of excellence going to go, I'm, I'm going to do this with all my heart. All right. Keep moving. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. So, of course, reading that this week, it's, it's hard not to think about like all the ships we see coming in and out here in Seattle day in and day out. Right? We see them all the time. She's like one of those ships working and she's bringing in her food from afar, which the the writer here is telling us uh, she's in first century Palestine and she's having her food, what she's bringing, her ingredients, spices, things like that, all coming in from afar, which means essentially they're eating really well. They're eating sushi out in the desert, which is unheard of, but she's living like this. This is what their family is enjoying, that she's not just slapping together something at the last minute and calling it good. No, she's putting thought into what the family meal is going to be like. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. So she rises while it's still night. This woman. Is driven. It's not saying that the woman doesn't Sabbath, that the woman doesn't take a break, that the woman doesn't relax, that the woman doesn't, that's just a, a, a nonstop, grind away, workaholic. That's not saying that, but it is saying she's found purpose, she's found meaning, she's found worth, she's found dignity, and she is a driven person. She rises and works hard alongside her husband in providing for her family. All right. And you need to mark this too. She and portions for her maidens. That is, she had hired helpers, employees around, and she took good care of them too, which was not always the case, especially in the first century to take good care of your employees. Why? Because resources are limited and I'm basically need to just take care of me and my house. That's it. The the hired help, I'll give you just enough to get you by, but that's, not her she's looking after them to make sure that the employees that worked alongside her that she was accountable for were taking good care of that her heart was bigger than her own house she considers a field and buys it okay so now she's into real estate like you you see this woman this woman would absolutely just do fine here in seattle all right she considers a field and buys it With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. Okay? She dresses herself, verse 17, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Okay, how does a woman dress herself with strength? The son, right here, is learning that the woman knows how to talk to herself. In the morning, she reminds herself of who she is, not just what she wears or what she's going to do throughout the day. To be a person who dresses yourself with strength is to remind yourself ultimately of where your identity comes from, that you're not working for an identity, but you're working from an identity, that you have strength, that this is a woman who knows who she is that she's not a pushover, that she's not a doormat, that she's not expendable, that she's not just another woman out there. No, this is a woman who dresses herself intentionally with strength, okay? When you look at how culture presents women, well, we can talk about that some other time. But this, this flies in the face of how pop culture Describes what a woman is. She dresses herself with strength. She makes her arms strong, which that right there also means that she's not above manual labor. In, the, in ancient Israel, that was it. It was literally to have a strong back. That she, yes, she had employees, but she had no problem getting down alongside the employees and working with them in the vineyards that she had planted, right? So she makes her arm strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. So she was on Etsy or Pinterest or something. But she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. So she's done good work. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands, and now, now we see her going to work right here. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. And so I did some reading on, like, what these women did and still do around the world today in what's involved in making carpets and blankets and garments and so on. Like it is a lot, a lot of work. Something I could n- never, I, it was hard just to even get my head around looking things up online going, this is how these women would make these things, stretching out fabrics and weaving things together in tapestry. She, so she's working hard with her hands, very attentive to detail. Look at the next verse. He mentions her hands again, and this is important. So she works with her hands at the spindle, and then look, verse 20. She opens her hand to the poor, and she reaches out her hands to the needy. What's he doing there? He's showing you the heart behind her hands going, whatever she's going to find in her hands, physically, she's now going to turn around and open her hand up, not just to her own children, or to her husband, or to her best buddies, but to the poor and to the needy, that she understood, I have my wealth, and I'm going to steward it in a way that looks after those who are less fortunate. Like, hold on, how is that wisdom? How is that wisdom well, if you pay close attention to your wisdom literature in your Bible, you'll see time and time again that they're trying to set you free through generosity. Through generosity. Like, again and again, scriptures make it, like, abundantly clear that wealth ends up being a prison. Read Ecclesiastes. Just read it. It's also in the wisdom literature, right? So she knows that what she's given into her hands, she now opens it to the poor, to the needy. And she ends up being the freest person in the world. Why? Because compassion sets people free and greed puts you in a prison. Just think about your own life. I can tell you on my own experience, the times I'm most miserable is when I'm most greedy. The times I'm enjoying life most is when I'm actually generous. That's why Jesus said the most obvious thing in the world. It's more blessed to give than receive. It's, it's how life really is. It really is. So she opens her hands up to those around. She's not afraid. She's not afraid of snow for her household. For all her household are clothed in scarlet. So this, this idea of being clothed in scarlet, meaning like her house is ready She's not afraid of what what weather, what outside circumstances might bring. She's prepared. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. So there's the purple thing we mentioned a moment ago. Her husband, okay, here's this guy. What's he like? Well, he's he's great too. (laughs) He's known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. The idea there is that in this Time men would gather at the gates outside the city, and they would study theology, politics, philosophy, how the city should be run, and so on. They make big decisions in the gates. You see the men gathering at the gates over in the Book of Ruth, for example, right? And they start talking about who is this lady Ruth. They say it happens where wise men at the gates. So the husband, he's no slouch. Like he hasn't just found like a sugar mama or whatever, and just like, well, she's pretty amazing. She's working hard. I'm taking the year off. Rather, he too takes responsibility and they're partnering together in the well-being of their household and looking after neighbors. Okay. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. There's your clothing again. Clothing metaphors, by the way, in the Bible, you got, man, I, I don't have time. Just man just just file that away okay and she laughs at the time to come what does that mean that means she's confident in who she is and what they've prepared for so whatever is around the corner when someone says well something bad's about to fall out you know something bad could happen tomorrow she sits back in a sense of confidence and strength and worth and laughs and goes, i'm all right I'm all right. And that's not because she's pointing out her 401k or some other thing. It's that she is a resolved, remember, this is the excellent woman of worth and valor. She realizes that her circumstances, regardless of if they change, do not change her. So she can sit back in a sense of, <laughs> you can threaten rain and disaster all day tomorrow. I know who I am. How you talk to yourself matters. So she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue, okay? So how does she talk? How does she text? How does she Facebook? How does she tweet? How does she direct message people? Whatever it is. How did, what is. What is she communicating with the words of her life to her husband, to children, to friends, to coworkers? What does she say? It's wisdom. It's wisdom. Wisdom. That is, she's thought through how to live life well, how to live life skillfully. She's thought things through. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And kindness is on her tongue. Not gossip, not slander, not backbiting, not whatever. This is a woman who speaks kind words. Kindness. That theme that we talked about last week in Ruth about God's covenantal love, kindness. Kindness of God leads us to repentance. Kindness does not just mean niceness but it's uplifting, it's encouraging. She's the kind of person that points out the good in people. She's the kind of person that knows how to celebrate the wins. She knows how to weep with the weeping and mourn the losses. It's a kind person. It's a person who knows how to be present with God, how to be present with other people and how to even pay attention to her own self. That's what she's doing. She speaks wisely. She's kind. She builds people up rather than tears them down. If there's anything we need to continue to remind each other of and practice as the family of God, it's kindness. The world is dark. Critics condemn us. Even our own flesh condemns us. And sometimes the greatest thing in the world you'll get is not just a moment alone with your Bible, but it's a moment alone when somebody can point at you and tell you who you really are that you're not a screw-up, that you're not a failure, that you're not a throwaway, that you're all right because God made you all right. She's kind. So kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. It's like, no kidding, that verse came really late. You're like, got it, got it. This woman works. Oh my gosh, she is not lazy. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Being from Atlanta, when you hear rise up, you just kind of mark that in your Bible with the Falcons. But anyway, though I go with the Hawks, but still her children rise up and they call her blessed. And her, ch- and her husband, he praises her. What does that mean? That means she doesn't, th- she's communicating here that the, that the way the family responds to her is favorable. The children like, they celebrate who mom is. Not because it's just like Mother's Day or they, The children are responding to this kind, wise, diligent woman. And they call her blessed. They call her favored by God. They, they use words. They might not use that word blessed the way the Bible does, but they communicate that same idea. And the husband, he praises her. That he points out who she is and he celebrates her. Both on his own and he communicates that to her and he communicates that publicly about her that he's not embarrassed by her that he's not ashamed of her that he praises her alright Then he, this is exactly what he says many women have done excellently but you you surpassed them all <laughs> you're amazing you're amazing so to the men in the room that happen to be married today uh, it's good to praise your wife not just use that word praise for God but to praise your wife to lift her up it's good so he praises her and then verse 30 charm is deceitful Amen. Beauty is vain, all right. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. There it is. So at the end of Proverbs 31, the book closes with what it opens with, and it's the theme of the fear of the Lord. It doesn't mean that she's afraid of God as though he's a violent Thor in the sky with a hammer. It's not that. She's not afraid of God dropping a fireball on her life. To live in the fear of the Lord means... That she honors who God is. That when she hears the name of God, she reveres him, his word, his will, his character. That his will, that his desires, that who he is, that what he requires of us, that's good and true and right. That's what it means to fear the Lord and to walk in wisdom. Okay. So, she's perfect. Everybody feel that? The woman's perfect. We got it. Men, women, children, anybody that ever reads this is like, well, all right, that's why I don't like the Bible. All right. Man. Anything else? Well, let's compare her to Ruth. And we read them together. In fact, when, you, uh, the, when the Hebrew Bible puts the Old Testament together, their books are, are jumbled around in ways that we don't organize ours according to genre. And Ruth actually falls in the wisdom literature alongside Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Ruth is actually lumped over with those guys. What does that have to do? What does Ruth actually have to do with this? Everything. The story of Ruth in brief is this. Ruth finds herself, her husband dies, brother-in-law dies, father-in-law dies. She's now left with Naomi. The mother-in-law who's felt that God has come against her. Her heart is filled with bitterness, right? And yet God had visited Israel and they leave Moab. They're going back to Israel because there's food there now, right? Naomi, somewhere along the way on the journey says, just go back to Moab, find another man, fix your life. I I got nothing for you. Ruth, what does it say? Ruth clings to her. No way. Where you go, I'll go. Where you die, I'll die. Where you lodge, I'll right? I'm, I'm going to live. I'm going to be in your shadow till the end, right? Then when they get over into Israel, Ruth gets a job of a day laborer, a hired slave, working out in the fields and catches the attention of a good and righteous and godly and holy man named Boaz. And here's what we find. In Ruth chapter three, I'll just read you this verse. Boaz says this, and now my daughter, that is Ruth, I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. The same phrase that was used in Proverbs 31 about the excellent, worthy woman Of strength and valor, that same phrase is now applied to Ruth. You know, what does that mean? Here's what the scriptures are communicating to us: is that essentially the circumstances are not going to determine the character of who a godly woman is. Compare the two. Proverbs 31 woman, wealthy. Ruth. Poor. Proverbs thirty one, Israelite. Ruth Moabite. Proverbs thirty one, insider. Ruth outsider. Proverbs thirty one, great job. Ruth slave. Proverbs thirty one, wife. Ruth widowed. Proverbs thirty one, children. Ruth no children. Proverbs thirty one eating food from gathered around the world. Ruth, lucky to get a meal a day. And on and on it goes. The circumstances could not be more opposite. And yet what scripture threads together right here for us to see is that one's righteousness is not contingent upon the circumstances. So Ruth has resolved to be this woman without all the other stuff. She lost it all and was still the excellent woman, which means you don't have to have a spouse, which means you don't have to have kids, which means you don't have to have it all for Scripture to still look at you and call you excellent. Wow. This is why we read Scripture in light of Scripture and watch God work, because it's easy to read the Proverbs 31 woman and go, She's got all those circumstances surrounding her. Of course she's godly. Ruth comes on the scene and says, no way. My life burned down. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean I give up. I just want to encourage you as women in our church. For the women in our church, I want to encourage you. That some of you are enjoying unbelievable health, wealth, prosperity, and life is just good. The sun is just shining on you, as DJ Khaled says, right? He's shining on me, right? But so be encouraged. And don't find your righteousness in your wealth and prosperity and your riches. They can go up and vanish in a moment. For the women in our church who find themselves without, in need, in lack, in pain, in sorrow, in unmet dreams, in all of that, be encouraged that God has not taken his eye off of you and does not think of you any less because your life has taken a different shape than what you would desire. Does everybody now completely feel under the weight of the law? Like, all right, well, here's these two perfect people. Yes, yes. That's why it's in the Old Testament. Here's why you need your Old Testament. Don't unhitch yourself from it. You need it. When you get to the New Testament, what we find is not all the apostles going, so guys, go check out that Proverbs 31 lady. Be like her. Go be like Ruth. Go be like so-and-so. But rather, every time in the Old Testament, who are these people ultimately pointing to? Ultimately, the Lord Jesus. When Jesus stood up and said, I've not come to throw away or abolish the Old Testament, I came to fulfill it in Matthew five seventeen, In Luke 24, when Jesus triumphantly resurrected from the dead, what did he do? It says he opened up the law, the Psalms, and the prophets, and interpreted them all according to himself. What's he doing? He's saying, all of these, all these Old Testament books, every story, every hero, every win, every loss, every lesson, everything is all culminating and pointing to me. Ruth is written to point to Jesus, just like Abraham and Moses and Noah and David and Solomon and Nahum and Amos. Yeah, you forgot Nahum was in the Bible and Habakkuk and on and on. They're all written to point ultimately to Jesus. If you go looking at the Proverbs 31 woman, you will be crushed under the weight of how perfect she is or Ruth. In fact, if you go looking through your Old Testament looking for heroes, you'll go crazy. Be like Abraham. You sure? Did you read that story closely? Gave his wife up on two occasions, was at least two times too many. Fine, fine. be like Noah. The guy that got completely drunk when when the boat docked, passed out naked in front of the family? Nope. We'll be like Moses. Temper tantrum? Murderer? We'll be like David. David? Do we have to go down that road? Like, no. Bathsheba and murder and all that. Right? Okay. We'll be like Solomon. Same story. Women. We'll be like Samson. Same story. More women. Like, you kind of get the idea that every time you look for a hero in the Bible, you come up disappointed, and you're like, who am I supposed to be looking at? Jesus gets out of the grave, opens the book, and is like, right here. Right here. Right here. The one who never sinned. The one who was... And is and is to come, risen from the grave, right here. You look at me. Now, listen, when you read Proverbs 31, when you read the story of Ruth, when you read Abraham and on and on, and you're feeling under the weight of the law, like I can't live up to these standards, enter Jesus, your perfect, spotless righteousness. That's who you look to, the one who gives you his righteousness, that God in his Grace did not compromise his holiness in adopting you as his children. You say, what does that mean? That means that when Jesus lived a perfect life, he did so and merited righteousness before God's throne. Do you have to be perfect to get into heaven? You bet. <laughs> well, how am I gonna get there? I broke all the commandments. It's all right, Jesus got you covered. He didn't break any of them. In fact, not only did he not break the commandments, he did all the things that you omitted. Then died your death, suffered God's wrath. And then rose from the grave and gives to you his perfect spotless righteousness. At great expense to himself, God brought you in. So you look to Jesus. You look to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news of Jesus and the gospel. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for applying your word to us. God, we would ask today that as we read about these women in Scripture and how virtuous and excellent and amazing they are, that we would not walk away feeling defeated or condemned or overly arrogant or proud, but rather we would be humbled by the power of the gospel and by the presence of the Holy Spirit who conforms us into the image of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing our, our prayers. Thank you for making us righteous before your throne. Thank you for, that the gospel is true. And I pray, God, for the moms in here today who are rejoicing that today would be so sweet and that they would be celebrated and honored for who they are and what they do. We pray for the women in here today with unrealized or unmet dreams and expectations and for those who are brokenhearted on today. God, we ask that you would apply the work of the Spirit and bring comfort. We pray these things in your good name, Jesus. Amen.